Welcome to Gatekeeper, a podcast about booking from the bookers and gatekeepers who decide who's in, who's out. Also, there's other stuff. And now your host of Gatekeeper, artistic director of the Hollywood Improv, Jamie Clam. Hello and welcome to episode five. Guys, we are halfway to 10 episodes, which is halfway to 20 episodes, which is one fifth of the way to 100 episodes. And guess what? You multiply that by a thousand and we're looking at 100,000 episodes of Gatekeeper. What a run. I've always said slow and steady wins the race. And if we all stick together, leave good reviews and stars on iTunes and tweet and Facebook about how great this podcast is, we can not only get to 1 million episodes, we can change the world. What I'm getting at is, can someone pretty please create a gatekeeper meme? Like, I don't know, maybe something like a picture of a satanic troll keeping intruders out of a gate and it says, gatekeeping ain't easy. Oh, and the troll should be lounging on a beach chair, sipping liquor out of a coconut. I'm just spitballing here. But yeah, definitely make a meme of that drunk-ass satanic troll and gatekeeping ain't easy and put hashtag gatekeeperpodcast.com. Wait, I don't have that URL, but something. Definitely hashtag something. And then insta-snap that to your Gramchat app with a hyperlink to this podcast's iTunes RSS feed. And when I say hyperlink, I don't just mean that when you click on it, it takes you elsewhere. I also mean that it's flashing like it has jewels on it. You know, like a hyperactive child flashing like it has jewels on it using some new product called, I don't know, a jewel bouncer. Andrew, write that down. Dual bouncer. That's pretty cool. Anyway, the internet. Check it out. It's a game changer. And then I have you playing like the sound of a seahorn um, with the gatekeeper whisper underneath. Perfect. Is that usable? So I am really excited about today's guest. That's right. This is five consecutive episodes of me being excited about the guest. I'm really hoping to keep that streak alive for a while. But between you and me, I booked a real bore for episode eight. Lucky for you, I'm whipping up some pretty out there ideas to unlock the more interesting side of that boring guest's boring, boring brain. So stay tuned for that. Like I said, it's pretty out there. But for now, getting serious, I promise. I am proud to introduce someone that was a huge support to me in my early days booking the main room here at the Improv, Eric Abrams. As a former booker of this club, he is familiar with how, as he called it, weird the job is and the lifestyle that comes with the position. Like any company that has been around for decades, the Hollywood Improv has gone through periodic changes. And of course, change can be bittersweet. Some people like it, others not as much. It was interesting to talk to him about our shared passion for comedy and how sometimes that passion makes the job even more challenging. We also talked about how he's transitioned from comedy club booker to network development person, including creating a storytelling show currently on Comedy Central, to independent producer, and the mix of liberation and fear that comes with taking that leap. So you know there's some overlap thematically with this conversation and some of the others I've had so far on this podcast, but there's a lot of detailed insight into the comedy world, more on the psychological toll being a booker can take, and the scary but inspiring challenge of taking major career transitions. I think anyone could get something out of this spirited back and forth. Please enjoy! Hi everyone, I'm Jamie Flam, and I am the gatekeeper! And they're going to put a cool effect on that. What kind of effect? Was it just cool or is there more to it? No, it's like a, almost like the devil. But it's kind of tongue-in-cheek because I'm not, I mean. I, I get I get The it. whole gatekeeper title is kind of a tongue-in-cheek. I, I got the bit. Yeah. Um, but anyway, we're recording live at the Hollywood Improv from the Sideshow Network Studio. 
just about 10 steps away from my office where I serve as the artistic director of this venue. And I'm very excited about today's guest. Let me tell you about him. You've already heard his voice a little bit. But um, Eric Abrams is the former booker of this establishment. Uh, he was a programming consultant for Montreal's Just for Laughs Festival, uh, digital development at Comedy Central, and you can talk more about that, and the producer of Comedy Central's show, This Is Not Happening, which is also a live show that started here in the lab and then the main room. And now it's in another venue. We'll get into that as well. Welcome, Eric Abrams. Hi, Jamie. You have to talk on the mic. You should know that. How are you? <laughs> I'm clamming up already. I'm great, man. How are you? Pretty good. I'm insane. You know how insane it is. That's why I'm excited to talk to you. You're insane? I mean, I'm insane as a human being. but Your, your life is insane here. But it's been insane here for five years. and um, But this last three months since we've reopened the lab. You've been here for five years? Yeah. Booking this? Starting the lab five years ago and booking the main room almost four years in March. Really? You must be the record holder. I might be. I was going to talk about that. Our boss, Erin uh, Von Schoenfeld, who books the rest of the clubs, when I started booking the main room, she was like, two years tops. Like, that's the shelf life of this job before you're either burnt out or... Mm-hmm. Or you kill yourself. Or you kill yourself. Yeah. There's so <laughs> or, many great places to kill yourself here. Well, they're getting prettier. We're sitting in this new podcast studio. What do you think? This place is great. Yeah, this is amazing. It's insane. It really is amazing. What years were you booking here? Um, Aaron hired me as her assistant in 2006 mm-hmm. in like May. And, uh, I started booking, uh, like beginning of 2007. And how long what was your length? And I left in the summer of 2010. So you did three years. Yeah. Three plus, but I was the record holder then. So, and yeah. I, so I think Jesse did a year and a half, and I think Stu did less than a year before that. And what was it before that? Bud Friedman? No. No. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. A line of people who I don't think made it to a year and a half. That seemed like the the benchmark when I did it. And Well, I mean, you know, it's, it's a roller coaster of a job. And, you know, dealing with comedians... And I mean, I mean, it's rewarding in a million ways. When I first started, and that's when I first met you, um, I remember the first thing out of your mouth was, dude, prepare yourself for the most thankless job on the planet. And (laughs) I didn't quite understand it at the time. I certainly do now. So tell us about your time at the Improv. Do you still think it's, you think it's the most thankless job on the planet? And is that literally what I said or are you paraphrasing? Paraphrasing. The word thankless was, uh, thankless was in there. That was definitely in there. Yeah. Because I feel like in hindsight, it doesn't feel like thankless, but frustrating, I think, would be way at the top of the list. Well, you, I mean, you get thanked and um, appreciation from the people that you get up and then uh, yeah. hate from everybody else, whether you see it or not. Yeah. Well, you know, it's, this is kind of an interesting time to talk to me because I quit Comedy Central about three months ago. How long were you there? Um. Three and a half years. And tell us what, what that looked like. What was your first job? Because you kind of went through the ranks, right? At Comedy Central? Yeah. Well, eh, I mean, when I started there, they were starting CC Studios, which was original digital development. Mm-hmm. Um, 
which which basically just means an alternate way to get involved with the network and produce original shows that are released online. Um, and we started that. Um, my boss and I, Allison Kingsley, and I just, you know, I started doing half hour shows in addition. And then by the time I left, CC Studios as a separate entity had been completely dissolved and, mm-hmm. and everybody in development was developing for all platforms. So I thought CC Studios was a, was a really successful venture. You know, the, our aim was to get shows on the air. Um, and two years from launch, we got two shows on the air or two shows that were being developed. Which, which, what was that? This is not happening in idiot sitter. But we also got script deals for multiple people that we had introduced to the network. And we got, you know, we had somebody that we introduced who became series regular on Andy Daly's show. And we had somebody who we started working with who then did an hour special that the network hadn't previously been working with. And I think if you look overall at what CC Studios was doing, it was really successful. Um, and I think relative to the budget that we had, it was tremendously successful because our budget was essentially yeah. in the grand scheme of things, nothing. Well, there's so many cool shows that came out of it. I mean, I mean, for me, the, the Walsh brothers, of course, um, mm-hmm. and it ties it all back to the improv and, you know, the early lab days before I was here mm-hmm. when you were making a go of it. Yeah. And I think the most epic story to this day of that lab is when, uh, Chappelle, uh, was drawn into the lab instead of the main room and did like three or four hours at the Walsh brothers show. Pretty cool. Pretty cool. Pretty cool. But anyway, so my, what I was going to say is now that I left comedy central to produce independently and develop independently. And, and it's the first time that I guess not the first time it's the first time with any confidence that I can be successful, that I'm representing myself and not representing an institution. And it's such a fucking relief. I'm Um, sure. And the perspective I have now is how different it feels um, versus all those years of feeling like at work, I couldn't fully be myself. Like with people that I worked with, but in relative, man, how to explain this relative. This is the main thing that I wanted to talk about actually on on the show as I thought about it relative to, um, that's not the right word in my relations with my relationships with talent, like as a gatekeeper, as, as the, their title of your show. Yeah. Um, I never felt like I could fully be myself. Um, and so I, that's why it, it all, this is all tying back to thankless. I'm sorry. I'm rambling so much on this. I haven't no, really we're getting somewhere. To, getting somewhere. I hadn't thought about how to phrase it, but what, what always made me uncomfortable here was, um, everybody's your friend when you're the booker of this club, mm-hmm. everybody fucking loves you and they're so happy to see you. And, that's, and oh, there's nothing better than getting up on the improv stage, which I mean, not to take away, it is amazing, but I, I feel like in the last three days, like seven people have come up, Jamie, of all the clubs getting up on this stage. And I just, I know they say that same thing to every other place. they're at. Yeah. For me, it was more just like hanging out in the bar and having everyone just be so thrilled to see you and want to talk to you and doing it. You know, you don't, I don't blame people for being nice to the booker of this club. You know, it makes sense. If you're an asshole to Jamie Flam, then Jamie Flam's not going to be inclined to book you on the show. It makes perfect sense, but it's not normal for everyone you see to be so happy to see you. It's weird. And I don't even act like that with 
my friends, with people who I love. I'm not nice to people. I'm not nice to my wife. Like that's our bit is like, you know, I love her and take care of her, but like we give each other a hard time. That's just how, that's how I grew up. That's how I am to my yeah. family. That's how I am to everybody. And yet there's this like constant niceness. And, and I was always really uncomfortable with that veneer of not really knowing who your actual friends are and not, and for me, whether it's my insecurities or whether it's real or whatever, I, w- I wasn't able to break through that exterior very often with talent. So I never, I wasn't becoming close with people or friends with people. And like most of the time I was here, I was uncomfortable, um, which sucks because this is a fun place to be mm-hmm. when, you know, like you have a bar tab, you can get drinks and you can hang out and have fun. But it's hard. It was hard for me to have fun here. I get that completely. I mean, I, um, well, I even wrote that down, like um, your temperament versus mine. I mean, like I'm just inclined to be nice to everybody Mm -hmm. and there's definitely been moments where i've uh realized oh oh this person because i'm also naive in a lot Mm -hmm. of ways too and i always want to give the benefit of the doubt but tons of people i know that are just being cool and being my friend because it's it's stage time but i've gotten much better at you know figuring out who's genuine who's not and the biggest way is like I, you know, we have so few spots to book here mm-hmm. and which is one of the things I'm actively trying to change is get those spots back. Um, so we can actually develop comics, but there's the comics that I, if I, if they don't hear from me for two or three months and I haven't booked them and they're my quote unquote friend and I get some sort of attitude from them or just never, they write me off versus the ones that, you know, I have some friends that I think are brilliant comics that maybe got up once last year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We both have know those people that we think they're brilliant, but for all the politics, we just can't get them up. Right. And they stick with you. And that's to me, like, like how you define, like who's genuinely your friend. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I think for me and, and maybe I think it's personality based and I think it's time as a factor also, but, um, I was never fully able to separate with, I don't, I don't know about with anybody the difference between a personal relationship and a professional relationship while I was working here. And so how did that change when you left or when, what did you find out? Well, so my point now, like it's such a relief, like, and, and I, I think a lot of this is, is very personal to me. Like, I think a lot of people would approach this differently. Um, but right, right now, if a comedian wants to talk to me about working with me, I mean, I guess, you know, for this is not happening, maybe things are a little bit different, but mm-hmm you know, you talk about how many spots you have to book in a year, you know, think about how many spots from uh, this is not a season of this. Is oh, not happening. I can't it's imagine. nothing. So yep. n- nobody really, there isn't much reason to have an ulterior motive to talk to me, mm-hmm. especially if like, you know, if you really want to get on the show, butter up Ari, don't borrow me. Mm-hmm. You know? Well, just real quick for listeners that don't know what that is. Do you want to tell them? It's a storytelling show on comedy central hosted by Ari Shafir. But so, so my overall point is, is, um, the relief for me now is that if people talk to me about comedy or about television or about working with me in any capacity, it's because they want to work with me. Like I don't have something else to offer besides myself. Mm -hmm. And it's such a relief for me personally. And it makes me so much more natural around people all the time than I felt like I have been ever before in my career in this world. Well, that's, that's huge. Congrats. It's so, it's such a relief. No, you can see it in your face. It's really, it really is awesome. And I felt it immediately. 
And again, I think, I think so much of it has to do with me. It's, you know, that's who, that's who I am. Like I'm, I'm guarded with people when I have any reason to be guarded. Mm-hmm. I'm overly guarded, but. But I think also we, we, the way we've connected over the last few years is like, we're also passionate about comedy and creating things. Mm-hmm. And no matter what you do, when you have bosses, um, and I think the epitome, this job epitomizes having not just our bosses here, but the politics and having to kind of kowtow to the agents and managers and a million other politics that come with this job. So when you want to create and produce things and, you know, think that we have a really good eye for what that talent is and not being able to do that and compromise that constantly, that's it weighs on you. It, it weighed on me a lot. Yeah. Since I've known you, you've always been seemingly more upfront. You tell it like it is. Um, and you're, you feel it seems more comfortable to you just tell someone here's why you're not getting booked. And I'm sorry, this is what I, why I can't do it. Mm-hmm. And I've gotten much better at explaining that mm-hmm. than I used to be. Mm-hmm. But I still am like talking through my teeth because I just, I don't want to, I want to make sure this person's happy, whether I think they're funny or not. Well, sure. But remember when you met me, I had been doing this for three and a half years already. So none of that comes naturally to almost anybody. I don't think it's, it's a really hard um, conversation to have with somebody who really wants something and feels it's very important to tell them that they can't have it. And then, and you know, decide whether or not to tell them why, but it, it's sort of inhuman to not try to explain. I think over time you, you understand better what it is. It, it's just easier to understand taste. Taste is something that you're, you kind of just have, right? I like this or I don't being able to explain why is much harder. Um, and I think only really can come with practice and maybe some people are naturally good at it, but I think you get better at it. Here's a good way to relate it to you at comedy central. They they have three groups of interns every year. And and at the end of each intern group, there's an intern lunch and interns are able to ask questions of all the development. What are we talking? Hmm? What kind of food? (laughs) Usually Mendocino farm sandwiches. Oh, wow. Not bad. I like Mendocino farms. Yeah, it's pretty good. I mean, for (laughs) interns, pretty good. I mean, their salads, they got a soda bar. Well, they, it's brought in, so they're, they're not bringing in a soda bar to the office. Oh, but, well, okay. um, I, a stupid thing that I would tell them to do or advise them to do is like, if you want to get into development, you can practice on your own every day. Mm-hmm. You can watch a television show and you can ask yourself what you liked about it, what you would change about it, what you would do differently. That's something that <laughs> very few people I think would do. Um, unless you're just the, the most hipster asshole in the world who just has to critique everything like that sort of practice is rare for humans to just start doing. And so when you start at the improv, you're probably coming from zero, mm-hmm. zero experience of um, ever telling a standup why you don't think they're ready to do a 10 minutes at the improv. And that's a fucking weird conversation. Nobody has that ready to go in their back pocket. And yet you have people that are looking for that explanation every single day of your life. Yeah. Well, and especially when you started a club without the club experience. And for me anyway, um, I didn't know stand up that well. I came from the worlds of the West side comedy and UCB mm-hmm. and then the lab, which is, you know, a completely different world than a mainstream comedy club. Well, so sure. I didn't yeah. feel equipped like, and especially, you know, we have 10, 15, 20 or more year veterans of comedy. Right. that can't get up and trying to tell them, or even give them any explanation on why their set didn't go well or something I'm like that. Yeah, dude. It's fucking weird. Yeah. And it's, you know, to think about like, 
think about your friends who don't work in comedy, don't think about this stuff all the time. Like they, if they watch stand up, they just watch it and they like it or they don't. And if they like it, that guy's funny. Mm-hmm. And that's it. It's just you are funny or you're not to like a normal person. And the way that that relates is like when you stop being the quote unquote normal person and you're suddenly in a position to make that judgment, it's, it's just shades, you know, it's nuances, yeah. these subtle little differences of, of what the difference is between this person and that person. Um, and it's just weird, man. It's just a fucking weird position to be in. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, I think it's really, it's interesting just in my, my career path going to Comedy Central and having this experience because I sort of, I, I learned so much from this that doesn't directly, tra- doesn't direct, direct, doesn't directly translate. I don't talk like that. It doesn't directly <laughs> translate, um, to development, but those kinds of conversations and, and that fine tuning of your taste and, and why your taste, not just what your taste, um, it's, it's just a, you have to refine that here and you have to, you have to have those uncomfortable conversations that force you to think about it. So I would tell the, tell the interns, you can go to a show, you can go to a stand up show and think about not just like that guy's funny, that guy isn't, but why, what do you like about that person? Mm-hmm. How close are they to crossing the line from not funny to funny in your mind? And what's the difference? Um, and you can do the same thing when you see a show at UCB as when you watch a show on TV as when you watch a movie as when you read a book as when you look at a meme that somebody made online, anything you want, you can have a mind for development and, or you can, you can practice, you know, developing your mind for development. Um, and it just all relates back to what you're saying about that. You know, I don't think that I'm any more well suited to this than you are. Maybe I'm. I don't, I don't know. Maybe I'm a more straightforward person than you are. I don't think that's, I doubt that's true. I think just by the time you had met me, I'd been doing this long enough that I had practiced. Um, and, and you realize, and and as you're saying, you've realized like you, you just have to figure that out because if you don't, then you're constantly cowering. You know, people are constantly looking at you with questions that are unanswered. Um, and I think, you know, you fake it for a while, you do your best to answer those questions. And then eventually you kind of figure out what you actually want to be saying and how to say it. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and again, like, or not again, but like you said, you, you don't want, you want everyone to be happy. Of course you want everyone's dreams to come true. You want them to, um, you want to be a part of their dreams coming true. You want to encourage them, but that you, there is a way to do it where, when you're giving feedback to somebody, you can be encouraging, you know, you can, you can do it in a way that you're not knocking them on their ass. And I oh, think, yeah. dude, and, and stand up the, the real, the real benefit to having those conversations when it comes to stand up is you are brand new at this, whether you're in anywhere from year one to year six or seven, you're pretty much brand new at this. Mm-hmm. And that's okay that you're not ready for the thing that you think you're ready for. And I think you can, you can have that perspective knowing that somebody, somebody who's going to really be a real standup for their life, somebody who's really going to continue to be a standup and continue growing as a standup is going to look back on those first, at least five years and be like, they were right. I wasn't ready. I wasn't as good as I thought I was. And it's okay. 
mm-hmm. that I didn't get the thing that I thought I was ready for. I didn't get the thing that I wanted until later. It's fine. And I think you, Jamie Flam, can bring to that conversation, to, to that letting someone down easy, that knowledge, whether or not they're going to be able to grasp that or not, you know that and you can rest easy at night. And I, and I think, sure, it goes beyond young comics, what we're talking about, but it's hard. It's, it's all really hard. hard. It's hard. And, and, um, five years is a long time, man. Congratulations on yeah. that shit. Well, I was going to say too, and, and it's a reminder, and I, I probably already mentioned this on past podcasts, but, um, for, for comics, you know, when there is a new booker at a place, um, which is going to be inevitable everywhere, but, um, to give them a year or two to figure it out before you hound them, because, um, it does take a lot of transition to figuring out how, how to have those conversations and to not hold it against a new booker at a club or for a show or whatever it is. Give them a couple years before you hold it against them. Is yeah. what you're saying? Yeah. Okay. Not give it a couple years before you try. No, no, no. Get it while you can. When there's a new booker, fucking hit them up. Well, make them think that you're the best. One of the, <laughs> when I first started, I, I thought this was a good idea. I, um, I was like, let's have a reception to introduce me to all the comics. Mm-hmm. Here's a new booker. How'd it go? We put some wine in the lab, uh-huh. um, four years ago and, um, put it out to all of our avails. Like, come meet the new booker. Yeah. That's classy. It's classy. Tell but me how much of a disaster it was though. The actual, I mean, you know, like in, on any given night I'm pulled in a million directions and like, yeah. Hey, shake my hand, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. But that night it was like insane and mm-hmm. people coming over to me and met a lot of great comics, a lot of nice people. Mm-hmm. But of course the people that jump at that, I mean, are, you know, a lot of times the most opportunistic, um, people and yeah, some were great, some not, but creating those personal connections made it even tougher from the get go. That As, makes sense. Yeah. So you suddenly put yourself in a position where everyone's like, I've met him face to face and now I can just act like we're best fucking friends. Yeah. And then that relates back to what we were talking about before. And now you're in, is it depressing? No, <laughs> no, it's fine. It's reality. Um, no, I'm actually happier than I've ever been. And it is because I have four years booking the main room under my belt and I do know how to do it. Good for you. I'm happy for you. I think that's awesome. I mean, at least we're, a, you know, a corporation. And bottom line is always going to be the main thing that drives everything. Mm-hmm. But I'm of the belief that they're not mutually exclusive uh, artistic pursuits. And I want to make money as much as anyone else. Sure. And if you put on a good show mm-hmm. and create a good experience, people will buy tickets, people will buy drinks because they want to be there. I think that's totally true. I want to, I don't know if you remember the story. I think I told you about it recently, but before I was at the improv, I spent a year working for a lady named Judy Carter mm-hmm. and Judy Carter, uh, was, she wrote a book called uh, the comedy Bible, which to, you she know, did comedy classes, right? And she, she was one, I think takes credit as one of the very first comedy teachers. Mm-hmm. And I know a lot of com- comedians have a sour taste in their mouth for teaching stand up, and they say, you can't do it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was her, I basically produced a bunch of stuff with her for about a year. And I got to the improv because I helped book her shows here. She would do her showcases for her comedy classes once every three or four months. Mm-hmm. And I was working for her and I would come to them and start, I would shoot them on video and I would um, help her book those classes and everything. And mm-hmm. that's how I met Rita. And that's how I eventually got in here. But I remember. I did not know that. Yes. I, and we would have, she was like, and she had monster classes. Like, you know, she would have you know 50 people taking a class for a session including people from across the world. 
50 people in one session? Or like, yeah, one, like she would have three different classes going at the same time. Okay. And so she had people flying out from Belgium and Greece and she would work with them on Skype and then they would come here. And part of the allure of taking her class was there's a showcase at Hollywood Improv. Mm -hmm. There's going to be agents and managers and you can get your big break. Mm -hmm. Um, So they would fly out from Europe Mm -hmm. and beyond. Mm -hmm. And so we would have these shows, but we had, so anyway, I remember we had to bump one of her big shows. Mm -hmm. It was a Sunday night and who knows, there's probably some huge headliner. So I, so I bumped it. No, I think Rita did. Okay. But I remember getting that email. It's like, we're so sorry. And part of my job now, and you know, is like bumping shows is the worst. Oh, and so someone had flown out from another country for a show that got bumped. There's like three of them that um, they oh, couldn't do it. No. So I had to email you directly. It just gets worse and worse. And I didn't know you uh-huh. at the time. Oh, but God. I was like, hey, it's Jamie from Judy Carter's office. Uh, <clears throat> these three people, and I think Rita had already approved it. We need to get them up on Saturday night because they're going to be in town. Um, I'd love to hear what my response was. Did you save the email? You know, I wonder if I have it somewhere. <laughs> you didn't have a choice in the matter. Uh, I don't feel like I feel, but I just remember like probably made me even more upset about it. You could sense that this was hell. Like you're making me book three people that are going to go up and do their first stand up set ever on a Saturday night at the improv. And English is not their first language. At least two of them. No. Can you imagine if someone sent you that email right now? I would freak out yeah i would freak out because it is a privilege you know that we even book you know i think these student shows which are great and i actually am i'm an advocate for i think you can get a lot out of a stand-up class having seen that okay um and i think it really is a privilege that we actually still do some of those here Mm -hmm. um because you know it's the improv some of the showcases um but jesus christ I, i would flip out if I had to give up three spots, I mean, it was probably 15 minutes because they're five minute spots, but still. Yeah. Anyway, I remember, um, remembering that moment and then being like, Oh my God, Eric must've fucking hated me or just hated that he had to like sacrifice putting up some killer comics. I'm sure I hated it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure I was furious. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, in the grand scheme of things, like it's, it's really not a big deal, but no, if you, if you don't take the job seriously, you'll go crazy. So you got to take it seriously. I'd rather go crazy because I believe in it than not. Yeah, man. I don't remember that. <laughs> well, good. <laughs> I don't know if this ever happened to you, but like I've added someone to the avails list. Mm-hmm. Usually it's like, I wouldn't even say that they're a headlining comic. Mm-hmm. And then on Facebook, there's that post like, I've been officially passed as a paid regular at the Hollywood Improv. I'm like, no, 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 no. Like that's, we don't have a system anyway, not in the last five or 10 years of this official, you're a past regular. Yeah. I would more like, I would, I remember more often getting people who would email me and say, I'm a regular at the improv. Why aren't you putting me up? But yeah, that, that sort of entitlement of just like, I earned this a long time ago and. You can earn it, but then you have to be progressive and continue evolving as a comic. Yeah, I was getting off track from what you were talking about. Well, but, but as far as development goes, we're finally with the lab. We have our uh, Sunday night show where if you're a young comic, now I can put you there. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to now actively talk to the industry and everyone here like we have a path. There's going to be the times where you get that call from a huge agent and they got this young person coming in and like, fuck, that's the politics that we have to deal with. Um, but by and large now it's like, well, look, the main stage is for headliners and for mm-hmm. And we have these shows now, like we can throw a bone there. 
but you really need to be seen first. You need to be vetted before we just put you on that stage. Yeah. It's, it comes from the comics too. When you have a huge headliner and it hits you up and you're like, I performed with this guy in Austin last year and he's great. Can you try to find something for when he's in town? Mm-hmm. You know, that there's the politics of that and you want to keep your huge headliners happy and the agents and the managers and the, oh, it's never ending. So who, who has been introduced to you by somebody saying, I worked with this guy in some random city who's going to be in LA. If you found, have you met anybody that's really great? Out of those no, and I've seen some great people, but it's tough. And I remember you saying at one point, maybe it was advice to me, but we get emails all the time from, I'm coming in from New York or mm-hmm. Chicago mm-hmm. and they're doing great out there and they're doing all the hip shows and they're doing the clubs. Mm-hmm. And it's tough to get someone up from out of town when we can get 5% of LA comics up. Yeah. And that's what I say now. I think you taught me that. Thank yeah, you, that, that is something that used to frustrate me. But the, the weird thing is sometimes you meet somebody, like I think, I'm trying to remember who I first heard of Ron Funches from when he was just some weird dude in Portland. Yeah. And he opened for somebody who came back and was like, this is a really funny guy. Um, can't remember who that was, but just for example. You know, so sometimes, sometimes if you put that person on stage, you end up oh, seeing, absolutely. seeing a really special and unique person. You know? No, and Funches, I mean, the, he got up in the lab the first time, like four years ago, whatever it was. Yeah. And of course, I, I saw him instantly. I was like, this is something special. Yeah. And how quickly, that's a quick rise right there. Yeah. Well, in, in, uh, in, in comedy terms. Yeah. Well, by the time he got to LA, but of course he'd been doing stand up for how many years before that? It's never a quick rise. Although Jack Knight, 21, touring with Dave Chappelle and was doing an open mic a year ago. So there's anomalies like that. Yeah. And there's also the challenge when you're that new to it to to not believe that you are in a position where you don't have to really work hard anymore. You know, That's true. I think that's the danger for when, when young, young comics get things. Uh, and I'm not saying this specifically about Jack Knight. I'm just saying when young young comics are getting things like, I think sometimes they can fall into the trap of of just thinking like, yep, I'm great. And I'm famous. Yeah. Um, and like, even people who are great are working really, really hard to, to continue to be great. You know, it's really not how it works. So during your time here, why don't you talk about, I mean, because you made a go at the lab too. We were, um, we were trying to get enough dedicated staff in the lab that I could just put shows in there. And there was that back and forth. And like you said, allowing you to fail. I mean, it's really an apt term um, Mm -hmm. where I, this is a long time ago. So I, at the risk of saying something that's maybe not a hundred percent factually accurate, but what I remember is wanting to try a lot of shows and and wanting to um, really just experiment with things, but not being given the resources to just willy-nilly put something on stage and be like okay yeah so i have just i imagine that you you just are like okay these are all the slots and i'm going to put stuff in there and try stuff in every slot we were such an upstart then that we didn't even have a spot a slot in the lab as a reliable thing right you know um at least that's how i'm remembering it now um well since we've opened like i've been in there almost every night but like last night was a good example like um we had our open mic and so it was packed in there and then there was an hour in between before the next show uh, started and it was a sold out show. And, but there was like eight people at the bar that kind of just were held over. They didn't have tickets. Mm-hmm. So about 15 minutes in the show, like I was having to be like, 
we got to get these people out. We got people that bought tickets for the show that can't don't have nowhere to sit. To sit. Mm-hmm. And those are the little things that, you know, freak me out. I'm sure you too. It's just like walking in a room and, you know, people talking, mm-hmm. um, not only audience, but like when, you know, the servers are talking too loud mm-hmm. and when you can hear noise from the room and it, where's the door person, there's someone heckling. Um, so there's all that, always that balance. And it's tough for me to even sit in a room now. Cause I will find the <clears throat> nitpickiest things. Like if the curtain on stage is like just a little bit open, I'm mm-hmm. like, how did that happen? Well, it's, I mean, it's good that you care that much because you know, what you're doing ultimately is you're courting talent to want this to be a place that they want to perform so that you can book the people that you want to book. And if somebody comes in on a night when, when, you know, you're home with the flu and somebody in the audience is talking and the door staff isn't handling it the way they should, then you maybe lost somebody that you would want to book in the future because things weren't the way they were supposed to be here. And that sucks. The pressure of that sucks, but it's good that you recognize what those things are and how to, what the right way to approach them is. Totally. And I try to have, you know, one-on-one conversations with as many staff that are here and cause you know, it's all about that experience and every single person is an important aspect of that, including the box office person and the door staff. I think it's easy to forget, um, or, or be trained incorrectly, but it's easy to forget when you're doing this every night that the person walking through the door maybe has never been to the improv before. Maybe this is a special night out. Maybe this is a first date. Maybe, you know, again, thinking about the user experience is crucial. Mm -hmm. And I think it's easy when you're just at work to care about someone else's feelings before your own, you Mm -hmm. know? Um, And that's a problem. Like you got to have staff that understands that. It's just crucial crucial it's crucial and i also recognize how tough it is and i i I, you know working with rita who's now our gm and who's been with the improv for 22 years and rita's the gm now yeah that's That's great man a huge 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 part of how we have gotten to this point to have someone that knows comedy and loves comedy i think almost two years now if not more congratulations rita yeah but she's when i you know and we're super close and i know when I sit at my desk and it's tough enough to get through emails, but when, how many directions she's pulled in mm-hmm. and managing a staff of, you know, 40, 50 or whatever it is, people and trying to like, she has to worry about that and the P and L as well as, you know, if there's a, you know, rusty something in the showroom that needs, that's going to fall sure. off and ordering the right amount of booze and, and coming in that one yeah. day and someone got blackout drunk in the bathroom and the cops came and that happens almost every night. <laughs> <laughs> it's you. It's every <laughs> I am an alcoholic now. Um, yeah, it's really hard. And, and to be the person who's in a leadership position who has to set the tone for um, the attitude of the whole staff. Yeah. Um, while also thinking about other things. It's easy. But I, I mean, to the extent I can, I take it in my own hands. Like I made that to-do list for that new lab mm-hmm. of all the little things that need to happen and who's in charge of it and just sat down with, each and every one of them was like, this is how it's got to be. Mm-hmm. There's no strip club announcing the shows in there. It's cool. It's, Good. it's jazzy. Yeah. It's soulful. This is not mainstream comedy club. And I want that for the main room as much too. Like I want it to be, we're in LA and we're not, you know, in the suburbs and we're competing with all these things. And I know it's a very simplistic way of looking at it, but it's gotta be cool. It should be cool. And you should feel like you're in a cool place that's being run by cool people. 
Yeah, I don't think simplistic is the right word. And I don't think that needs to be qualified. I think that it, you're just absolutely right. It's the same with anywhere else. You go to a restaurant and you, you either have a good time or you don't. Yeah. And, um, a lot of it's the food, but it's the atmosphere. It's the people there. It's, you know, it's the same with anything that you do. You're spending money to do it. Mm -hmm. So there's always this quality proposition that you need to meet. And I think especially in LA, you can watch comedy anywhere. Seven nights a week. I think it was last, we had Louis C.K. You watch a lot of it on TV too. I oh, mean, yeah. don't forget the, the just, you can watch fucking YouTube videos on your phone that'll make you laugh for days, mm -hmm. days and days and days if you want to. You're competing against everything. And in LA, it's more than comedy. You're competing against live music and movies and mm -hmm. a million other things. I think it was the night Louis C.K. was here. We, you know, we sold out. And then also that same night we had, or um, down the street at the Lyric, you had, I think, the goddamn Comedy Jam mm -hmm. with sold out, insane lineup. Mm -hmm. And Sarah Silverman was there. And then at Largo, you had Pete Holmes mm -hmm. and friends with probably Funches and a killer lineup. And it was like, three sold out insane shows on a Monday night in LA. Mm -hmm. And that's what speaking to comedy. But when that's always almost every night, you know, there's 10 crazy good lineups in the city and some of them are five bucks or they're free. Um, and in LA people are just generally savvier. You know, like we're not the only comedy club in town. You have other choices. Whereas if you're in the middle of the suburbs in Chicago, you know, you go to the improv in Schaumburg mm -hmm. because that's where you go to see comedy. So that all plays into those little details that have to be right on point at this club to get right. those people back. Yeah. You have to give it its own personality. Yeah. You're doing great, man. Thanks. Well, this just became yeah. all about me. Is this podcast just your chance to tell everyone that you're doing good things? No, I mean, I, I was created mo mostly as a way to vent and, and mm -hmm. I want it to be a resource for comics that just don't know how it works or anyone for depending on who you listen to, like to just to get the inside scoop, know how to, act or not act all right so what are the rules on how to act should we talk about those things or should That's, we wrap it up no we should definitely keep going okay what are the things that comics did or continue to do that bother you and what, what are the things that you appreciate um well there's okay there's some general human things that i never would have thought of before on the way here but i'm just thinking of them now if you fuck something up take responsibility for it that's just something that everyone should do in their life all the time um, is there a specific example of someone not doing that? I think actually that happened sometimes on the staff side of things here. We had a couple, one of the things I didn't really like about being here was I felt like I sort of had to be the babysitter and be the dad when people fuck things up. Like what like, kind of fuck up? Like people getting too drunk, people doing drugs, people getting into fights with the staff here. Or Meaning I, comics? Yeah. Oh shit. Um, like comics getting blackout and yelling at the bartender, uh, that happened. I think I know what you're talking about. I was just talking about, I was, so I, I hang out with Ari every day cause we're doing the show and he keeps giving me a hard time about the time that he got banned from this club. When was he banned? Sometime when I was here, he took his dick out on stage. <laughs> um, that'll do it. And did he take responsibility for it? Or he's like, this is someone else's dick. No, he, he, yeah, Ari owns that he did it, but he's just like, why is this a problem? <laughs> I mean, you know, Ari, he's like, who cares? And somebody said to him, you never would do that at the comedy store. It's so disrespectful. And he was like, I do it all the time at the comedy store. I got my fucking dick sucked on stage during a show at the comedy store. Is that true? Yeah. Jesus Christ. Well, they had a, 
that is not the magic and enchantment it's, that it's I not, want. <laughs> it's not my story to tell, but there was a an incident where he got a blowjob on stage. Not a not a no. There was like a big dick contest between contest <laughs> between him and another comic, and there was a porn star who was blowing them. To a literal big dick contest because I feel like every night's a big dick contest. Literal, much more literal than that. Wow, something. It's not my story to tell, but um, I <laughs> I had to ban him and the, just the di- the discussion that we have now is that uh, he says that I got the band down from a year to six months. I think I got the band down from six months to three months or two months or something like that. Did you have to ban a lot of comics? Is that a no, thing? it was pretty rare, but it came up a few times. I feel like under earlier management, when there was some crossover between you and I, there was a lot more people being banned. It was more reactive, I guess, or I don't know actually how reactive it is now, but it was, there were some reactive situations and, we have some like pretty out there promoters sometimes that create insane situations, but by and large comedians. I had a promoter promoting good. a couple people on his show that weren't actually on his show. Really? He was promoting Steve Martin. And I mean, it was absurd. And he was, his argument was like, it's so it's obviously a joke. And I was like, obvious to whom? <laughs> like you don't, you can't put out a mass email that says that, these people are going to be was it like the, the april fool's day kind of thing no oh that happened here maybe in the last few years it was an april fool's joke yeah steve I, martin i had a comic get into a pretty pretty big argument with someone who was working the door that i was and just like mediating that kind of stuff i was it was fine i'm okay to do that it's just sort of dumb like who cares why are we talking about this this is <laughs> It's interesting. I think people find it interesting. Not, I, um, no, not not you and me. Oh, like, like, that's how the, I felt in the moment. Was like, why? Why is this a big deal? You know, um, and why is this even like? Why did this person do something so stupid? Act like an adult, and then why are we all acting like this is such a major incident? But, that is really interesting. I mean, this is a comedy club. We work in the comedy industry, mm-hmm. and how much stress comes from. I try to remind myself when I'm stressing out and I'm over you know, overbooked and crazy and just dealing with a ton of shit like this is a fucking comedy club. Yeah. And if you were here every day and saw some of the drama that happens and it's because it's all ego fueled, but it, it is, it's insane. Yeah. And I think the stress for you too is the things you're talking about and you want the room to be specific. You know what you want it to be. And, and to, you know, it's your creative vision for what the whole space should be. Well, I've, I've given, you know, I'm at a, a point now where I, pick my battles and know that, you know, it's never going to be my club and there's always going to be a lot of cooks in the kitchen. That's the nature of it. Cause I think a lot of people understand this is the industry club and that we're mm-hmm. not just booking for this club. You know, our relationships spread to, you know, 25 other clubs in this country mm-hmm. and that's where the, the politics come into play. And, you know, we have to keep people happy for, for Aaron and the booking office who have to keep those relationships in order to book headliners everywhere. Yeah. That was something I think you and I have talked about before, right? was when, when comics come into this place and have a shitty experience, they don't think the Hollywood improv, I had a shitty experience. They think the improv and that reverberates through to the rest of the club and, and, and vice versa, you know, the Kansas city improv or whatever. If, if one of those places doesn't treat you well, you just think of the improv as one single entity and, you and I know that that's not exactly how it works, but it's important that 
every club pulls its weight in the in their talent relation. And it works the other way too. Like there are comics without naming names who were not booked at the improvs in the nineties or the eighties who now have written us off because because yeah. their experience was not like when they were in their prime, they they couldn't get booked across mm-hmm. the country mm-hmm. and they won't come back. Yeah. I had a guy here who I reached out to, a comic who I, who I really admired, who I had never heard from while I was here. And I, I reached out to him and said, uh, hey, we're making a lot of changes here and, and I think we're really going in the right direction. And um, I've never heard from you, never seen you around here. And I'd just love to have you come in and do something do a spot or headline and he was like ah, i had a bad experience there and and i was like i totally understand i totally get it i mean i i pushed it i was like it's very different i think we're doing things we're really going in the right direction and he was like it's not you man and that i you seem like a great guy whatever but i'm good i'm not gonna come back I, and, i've and had I'm, a lot of those and i but also we've had a lot of people come back over the last few years there's been headliners and people that are dropping in more that said there's some people I headline they're like really I get to headline like I've never even been booked at the improv and people that I really look up to and the best examples you know Bobcat went up a couple of weeks ago to sold out room and did great mm. and then a week later he's like in the lab yeah he's like um, did you do um, a headline show what are you doing there no it was just a great lineup just a little on, on the alti side and he closed it out with 20 minutes but he afterwards and you know we brought him up into this room showed him the old bar and he was just you know, super impressed. Mm-hmm. And then hit me up uh, last week saying, I love the room. I would love to do something there regularly. That's really fantastic. But those are the little things. Well, I think you that- can really get the magic to happen here when when certain established comics, comics start to look at it as a workout room where they're like, oh, I can do quality stage time. It's not just some stupid fucking side room. I can do quality stage time because there really isn't that much quality stage time around here. No, and, and like, sure, if you're Louis C.K., you can be like, ah, I'll charge a lower fee and work out by doing an hour, and that's great. But not, not very many people are that guy. Um, and so many people could benefit from just be able, being able to do 15 minutes. So just like totally. what the OR is. That's okay. what we're trying to do for both stages, too, which we've never been able to do. But starting in the next couple of weeks, um, at least two or three nights a week, we're just going to roll in both rooms till 1 a.m., which is huge. Um, you book those or is it? It'd be bookings and drop-ins. Mm-hmm. But, you know, tag on three to four extra sets. So when that 10 yeah, o'clock is show. every night or? Eventually. I mean, we mm-hmm. have such a weird schedule or, you know, we have a podcast one night. And, mm-hmm. But in the, the lab too, we're building it as a room where we're going to be open all night. Of course, there's going to be nights where we have four people. Sure. At 1230. But. And don't get too big too fast. Yeah. Go slow. No, I mean, we're going, I'm going slow right now just because it's impossible to not because it's just so much to book two rooms. Mm. And bring, but the other goal too is like, I'm not looking for promoters anymore. And I'm also not looking for bookers. If people come to me now and they're like, I want to produce a show in either room. I, I'm like, if you can get people out, let's talk. Cause that's the biggest struggle in LA. If you have a great promotional tool and you can get pack rooms, then we can talk. But, um, I'm not giving spots to people unless like, if you can bring huge, huge, huge names that maybe I don't have access to. Mm-hmm. Great. But I don't want in with the lab too. I don't want like 50 different shows where people are just booking lineups that I could be booking. Mm-hmm. I have 500 avails a week mm-hmm. from great comics. Mm-hmm. So I'm building as many shows so that I can book comics. 
Good. Good move. Instead of, and it's less to deal with too, to have like, so basically, or if you have a super innovative, cool, interesting idea. I got an idea for you. Pitch. I'll pitch it after. All right, cool. It's a pretty basic idea, but you're going to love it. Five comics doing 10 minutes each <laughs> with a killer host that's going to keep the energy up in the room. Can you believe it? That's pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> well, I wish, I, well, I don't wish, but if I, if I had a list of do's and don'ts, I would go through it with you, but. You don't have one. I don't have one. Well, this has been fun. Yeah. We didn't get to um, where he grew up and went to college and your favorite book and. Um, Nobody cares about what's that what's your take on religion and philosophy? <laughs> um, your favorite horror movie. Um, so, what's what's next? What's next, Eric? For you? Are you really? Is that a real question? Or is- I'm, I put on an effect, but um, I mean, I'm serious. Like, what um, where, where where do you want to be in five, ten years? What where's your career headed, and what do you want to be doing? Well, my my whole purpose in leaving um, leaving the world as a buyer was to be successful as a seller. Mm-hmm to develop and sell my own things. Um, and, uh, as my wife will attest, I'm pretty all over the map in terms of the, the distribution of the things that I want to sell. I'd like to do everything. So I'd like to do some live shows. I'd like to do stand up shows, scripted shows. Um, I'd like to do feature films. I'd like to do podcasts. I'd like to do all kinds of things. Um, I'm just getting started now, so well, I don't know. You, you have a great track record. You have a great body of work, I would say, to this point. Yeah, it's pretty great to I don't know if I would have been confident enough to leave if I didn't have this is not happening going. Yeah. Um, it's no coincidence that my last day at Comedy Central was October first and we shot season two on October fifth. That, that was shooting that second season and not being there anymore just a totally different ballgame? For me, it felt very different. Yeah. yeah. Really liberated and a lot more fun. Um, felt a lot more like myself. Felt a lot more at home. It was really fucking Well, awesome. it's super impressive. I was at one of the tapings at Cheetah's strip club in Hollywood. But um, as I had similar aspirations and, and coming on from the same path as you, it was really cool to see this huge production and seeing some of my favorite comics. And I think we definitely do have a shared sensibility for comics. We like good comics. Yeah. Funny people, funny people. Well, maybe we'll come back and do more small shows here in the lab. Do you remember getting emails like, Hey, what do you get? Like from a comic, even sometimes a really great comic. Like what do you got Tuesday night or Thursday Mm. night? Mm -hmm. And then I look and it's like, Tuesday night is it's a live podcast. And then it's like, a gay theme show. Mm-hmm. And if they'd just taken that two minutes to go to the website and not send me an email about Tuesday, mm-hmm. we could have saved ourselves a lot of time and trouble. We saved, saved me the, the guilt of saying I can't get you up. So that's my tip. Everyone out there, if you're a comic listening before you bug a booker about a spot, maybe go to the website, see what's going on that night and make sure that it's not a, uh, in conflict with what you produce as a, comedian that's right what you produce as a comedian <laughs> you, want, you want to take that over again are you happy with that? you happy with that take? here's my tip of the day do your research folks go to that website for that club you want to get up at and before you bug them about that tuesday spot make sure 
It is, in fact, a comedy show. What you produce as a comedian. <laughs> a comedian. But you know what? Sometimes that'll start a conversation between you and somebody. By the way, Rita just walked through. Hi, Rita. Were your ears burning? Oh. <laughs> Love you too, Rita. That was Rita Piazza, our GM, coming on through. Guys, in closing, where could people find you on the internet and your projects, Eric? Uh, you can find a ton of This Is Not Happening videos on Comedy Central's YouTube channel. Which is youtube.com slash Comedy Central. Uh, or just search This Is Not Happening playlist. And, um, you know, there's a couple that aren't great, but most of them are home runs. Just let the playlist guide you. And if you find you're not enjoying one, just hit the next button. Watch the next one. I love that. And uh, season two premieres February 23rd. Congrats. Um, Only on Comedy Central. For now. Only on Comedy Central. And, well, thank you for joining me. Thanks, man. And if you, Eric, want to follow me, Mm -hmm. at Jamie Flam on Twitter. I'm not going to do that, but it's not personal. You actually might want to take out your phone right now. (laughs) Um, And my final parting shots, work on your craft endlessly. Be a professional. Mm -hmm. Be undeniable. And be cool as fuck always. For more episodes of Gatekeeper, you can subscribe to us on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can find me online at jamieflam.com and at jamieflam on Twitter. A very special thanks to the Sideshow Network, the Hollywood Improv, Andrew Steven, Sean Merrick, Roddy Swearingen, and producer Buddy Peace for the awesome music at the top and end of this episode. And be sure to check out hollywood.improv.com for updates on great new shows coming up in the main room and the lab.